not good at directions. And I think it's probably because I've never had to be. Um, I'm what they call a millennial. And so we've always just had GPSs, but I, I've never been good at directions. We grew up in a, in a small town. I don't know if you guys grew up in a small town, but the same small town. We never moved anywhere. And so by the time I was driving, I kind of knew where everything was. I didn't need somebody to tell me how to get to, uh, you know, 17 or Walmart. I mean, that was really all I needed to go to. Walmart and school, Walmart and school. Um, and so when I went to college was really the first time that I needed navigation <laughs> because I went to school about three hours from home. And I can remember one of the first times that I drove home um, for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or something, I don't remember. Uh, it's, it's a three-hour drive. And it took me five and a half <laughs> because I was not good at directions. Because I can't think, my brain doesn't think in numbers, which I'm not an engineer. I don't, my brain doesn't think in numbers. And somebody named all of our major roads with numbers, which to me is just confusing. I cannot keep them straight to save my life. And so I'm supposed to navigate via these numbers to get home. And, and my system of navigation is I see an exit and I pay attention to the details. Like, you know, oh, they've got wildflowers right before or, or like there's a really weird looking tree. Like I know what the exit looks like so that when I get there, I turn. But I guess I wasn't paying attention because I missed the exit. And the only road that I knew the name of was, was this um, blessed highway called Interstate 64. It runs straight across Virginia like this. And I'm down here somewhere, and I'm trying to get over here, but I know if I can hit 64, then I can figure out m my way. But I missed the turn. And so I know I'm below 64. I'm south of 64 somewhere. I know it goes like this, so if I go up, if I go north, I'll run into it. And that's how I made it home. Now, 64 is terrible traffic, and that's part of the reason, but I, it took me five and a half hours to make a three-hour trip because I'm just that good at navigation. And so you would think that I would have gotten better after that, but my, my parents gave me a GPS for Christmas that year, and so I just, I have never needed to be good at directions because there's always this little person, uh, this little computer, which tells me what my next turn is. And now, Google updated this week, actually, which I thought was interesting, where you can say, okay, Google, what's my next turn? While it's, and it'll tell you what you're looking for as you're coming up and how far it is, so you just talk to it, which, a little bit creepy. But it works. I used it this week a couple of times, navigating, because I'm not good at navigating. Um, and all of that to say is, when you're in the moment, when you're on a trip, when you're in the middle of something, all you really need to know is what the next step is. What are you looking for? What's your next step? And it's helpful to have an idea of your final destination. Like, I knew I wanted to get home. It's helpful to have that idea. Especially if you get off track, because then, you know, I just go north and hit the, right. But all we need is that one piece of information, what's my next turn? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If, if you're joining us this morning, I don't think this is the right PowerPoint. That's all right. This is the wrong PowerPoint. 
This is the one from last week. It's fine. Don't pay attention to the screens. If you if you haven't been with us this morning, what we've been if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been talking through the Christmas story, and we've spent the last three weeks in Luke chapter one. And this letter was written by a really analytical guy who probably could have navigated the roads via the number system. And he wrote it down. He was a doctor. He was very meticulous. And what strikes me as funny is that in this story, it's the only time in the Bible that reads like a musical. Because people are going on, they're doing their life, and God does something, and they stop and they sing a song about it. They, they break out into verse. So this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. And if you want to follow along the Bible... I've got one here, and it's going to be on page 710, I believe, in these story Bibles. Yep, 710. I did, yep. It's in there. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's just pictures. So Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. I'm there. If you don't know, Elizabeth was really old, and she couldn't have a baby. And and an angel showed up to her husband and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. And he didn't believe the angel. And so he's been struck silent for nine months, waiting for this to happen. So now's the time. Elizabeth is giving birth now, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Verse 59. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he should be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. So I'm going to pause there. It's, it's important to kind of know the backstory. We're stepping into the middle of the story where Zechariah initially had an angel show up and tell him what was going to happen. And he said, I, how do I know? And the angel's like, I'm an angel. God sent me to tell you this is going to happen. Like, that's how you know. And since you didn't believe it, now you're not going to talk until this baby's born. And so now the baby's been born. And, and the angel said that when the baby was born, everybody was going to rejoice and be glad with her. And that's what's happened because she was old and she had shame that she hadn't had a child. And now God has given her a child. And they're going to call him John because Zechariah learned his lesson. Angel said, call him John, we're going to call him John. So he calls him John, which is... Which, is breaking tradition, like there's nobody in your family named John. But John is set apart for a special purpose, and we're going to get to what that purpose is. But God is doing what he said he was going to do. And it's taken him nine months to get to where he's at. For Zechariah, I asked a couple weeks ago, what did your life look like back in March? And what if you hadn't spoken a word since March? 
What if you hadn't spoken a word since March and you knew that God was God had shut up your mouth so that you couldn't talk? God was the one who did it. Now when you can talk again, what is the first thing you want to say to God after being kept quiet for nine months? I'd be a little bit frustrated. Like, okay, God, I get it. Like, I was being dumb. Like, you didn't have to actually, for the whole nine months. I mean, I learned it in third, the third month. I knew that I had done the wrong thing. Like, you could have just, and you made me go the whole nine months. I, I, I could have been frustrated. But Zechariah, gone through the experience, um, having been taken through that trial, has a more pure answer. He spoke and blessed God. He's blessing God. He's thankful. Now I can talk. God is doing what he said he was going to do. And, and everybody's rejoicing with him. He, he figured it out. We kind of left him in a lurch last time we talked about him. But, but nine months of quiet, you sitting with God, watching life go around, Seeing God do stuff will change your perspective. But let's look at verse 65, because Zechariah is not the only one here. Verse 65, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. I'm going to pause there again. So everybody's, this is a big deal. This isn't just like a normal, you know, this isn't like Jesse and I having a baby, which happened, has happened like every other year for seven years. This is Elizabeth, whom everybody knew was barren. And now she's having a child. The child is born. Baby's healthy. Mom's healthy. There's a lot to be excited about. The, the neighborhood gathers around and they rejoice. They're excited about what God has done. And everybody's talking about it. So I bring that up just to point out again that this record that we have written down, not less than 20 years after it happened, was written by a guy who went around and talked to people who remember when this happened. There's a lot of things we take for granted in the historical record, but, but this is as close to historical fact as you can possibly get. Somebody wrote down what happened less than 20 years after it happened. This is mind-boggling. That never happens when you're talking about historians. Historians usually write about what happened like 200 years ago. They get bored with what happened yesterday. But, but Luke has given us an orderly account so that we can be certain what happened? You're like, okay, so what? She had a baby. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, let's continue reading. Zechariah here bursts into song, like a musical. Verse 67. And his father, this is John's father, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in, this, in the house of his servant David. 
And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I'm going to pause there. because This is kind of a weird thing. Um, you know, baby's been born, and he starts talking about the country. It's like if, if, if when Edmund had been born, I was like, you know, God's doing stuff in America. Like, it's a little bit odd. But we have to put ourselves back in that time where Israel had a special relationship with God, and they screwed up. They, they didn't follow God. They did all of the things that God told them not to do. They didn't do any of the things he told them to do. And so God essentially just put them in timeout. You know, I'm not going to talk to you. And at, at the point that we're talking about here, God has been quiet for 400 years minus nine months. Nine months ago was the first time God sent a messenger to say, hey, I'm going to do something in the world. 400 years. 1600s for us today. And so Zechariah understands that what God is doing now is not just for his family, it's for the whole country. And what is it that God is doing? He's raised up, and this is a really weird phrase, he's raised up, what does it say? In verse 69, and raised up a horn of salvation. That is really kind of a weird word. But a horn of salvation, a horn somehow <laughs> is related to like a crown and the, the parts that come off the crown, you know, like it's, it's related to that. So a horn of salvation is a horn, a crown, this royal emblem of salvation. He's raised us up a king that is going to save us. And what does it say that he's going to save us from? The hands of my enemies, our enemies. This is just like he promised that we're going to be saved from our enemies and from the hand of everybody who hates us. He's going to show us mercy like he promised because he promised he's going to do it and us being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we're going to be able to serve him now. Because Israel had been taken over by this empire. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the Roman Empire and they did not care a lick about God. And so they are serving God in a country that doesn't care about God. And they're looking forward to a day when they themselves have a king that's going to rule over them so that they can serve God without fear. So Zechariah is saying, God is sending us a king and he's going to kick the butts of the Romans. This is king stuff. I, I want to I emphasize this is king stuff. I had a picture that was really not Christmassy at all of a, of a knight with the helm, and he's like got the sword, and he's getting ready to chop your head off. Like this is, I'm going to battle king stuff that he's talking about. That's not what we think of when we think of little baby, baby in the manger. We think a baby in the manger came to save us from our sins. But up until this point, what God revealed to Mary that she would give birth to a king after the, after the lineage of David. Over and over, up until this point, God has said, I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you a king. I'm going to give you a king. He's going to battle, and he's going to 
in and he's going to restore everything. I'm going to give you a king. But actually, that doesn't have much to do with Zechariah's boy so much. Zechariah's boy wasn't the king, remember? Mary was the one who said he was going to have the king. So let's look real quick at what he says about John in verse 76. And you, child, speaking to John, you, child, will be called a prophet, the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So John, John says, you, John, or excuse me, Zechariah says, Hey, John, you are going to prepare the nation, not for this king, but for forgiveness of your sins. He's just been talking about all of this king stuff, and he says, but, but, but John, you're going to help them deal with their sin. And this is the first time that God starts bringing these ideas together. That we sometimes, we, we see it all as one thing, that Jesus came as a baby to be our king and to be our savior. We see that as one big idea. But I, I, we've walked really, really slow through this chapter so that we can see that God only said, up until this point, revealing through the Holy Spirit, God only said, I'm sending you a king. And he's, it's government stuff. And here... Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, John, you're going to prepare the way for this king that's coming. And you're going to teach people what? The knowledge of salvation, how to be saved, and forgiveness of their sins. We, we thought that the, the salvation that was coming was for Israel, and, and they're going to kick the Romans out, and this king's going to fight this big battle. But the victory here is the first instance that we see it's a battle over sin, which is a completely different kind of battle. In verse 80, just real quick, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Like, the, the kid grew up. He became kind of a kooky dude. He dressed funny and ate weird stuff. Like, a, I don't want to say modern-day vegan, that. I'm not going to say that. <clears throat> but God is doing what he said he was going to do. He sent an angel to tell Zechariah, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be really cool. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from, from birth. And Zechariah couldn't handle that. He said, how do I know? I, I told you. And so he spends nine months not speaking at all. The angel comes to Mary and says, hey, you're going to give birth to the king after the lineage of David. And she says, well, you know, logistically, what are you asking me to do? He says, oh, God's going to take care of it. And she says, I'm the servant of the Lord. If he's going to take care of it, I'll do it. And Zechariah, now that he can talk, is saying, God is sending a king to take care of all of the national issues that we've been facing together. 
But he's also going to deal with our sin. You see how God has taken baby steps with this small group of people? He can't, and I think it's funny because he came to the priest first, the guy who should have understood what was going to happen, the guy who should have responded in faith when an angel shows up at the altar of prayer and says, hey, I'm going to do this thing, which natural side, like it's not, I'm, I'm bending the rules, I'm not breaking them. Like you're going to go home and see your wife, wink, wink, and she's going to have a baby. I'm bending the rules here because she's too old. And then he says to Mary, I'm breaking the rules. God's going to do this. You're going to get pregnant, and it's not going to have anything to do with you. You're just going to carry. And now he's saying to Zechariah, he's going to be a king. He's going to conquer, but he's going to be concerned with sin. It's baby steps. He's taking us along. So the big idea for all of this is God reveals to us our next step. All I needed to get home was to hit the right turn at the right time. And God reveals to us our next step. There are times where he tells us the whole journey. There's times where he says, you're going to be conformed to my image and my likeness, and you're going to glorify me with your whole life. And we're going to get to it next year, talking about revelation and how all of that stuff shakes out. There are times where he tells us our destination of where we're going. But for today, for this week, for Monday morning, God reveals to us our next step. So for us, couple of questions. Where are you at? You, you pull up the map. Where's the dot? Are you the priest who has all the answers but then doesn't really buy it when God does something that you weren't expecting? This doesn't fit into my, this doesn't fit into my systematic theology. Are you the, the, the young girl is just says, God, I, I don't know what, you, what you're doing, but if you want to use me, I'm your servant. Are you the one that just, I don't even know about any of this God stuff. Like, it's just, it's just Christmas time. I'm supposed to go to church. Where are you at? What's the next step? And this is a weird thing where God's led me to ask you this question that I can't answer for you. Unless we spend time together and build a relationship. I can't know what God's doing in your life unless you trust me or trust Pastor Todd or trust Pastor or trust Jesse. Like, it doesn't have to be somebody with a pastor. Like, what does that even mean? Unless you trust other people who are following God they can't help you take that next step. But I suspect that God works to show you what it is. So spiritually, what is your next step? Are you going to trust God to save you? That's the first one.
Spiritually, are you going to trust God to walk you through this week? Is he going to give you strength to be able to do what he's asked you to do? It's hard when God's asked you to care for little baby kids that always want your attention. Are you going to trust God to walk you through that next week? Personally, like, let's get real practical. What's your next step to be able to, like, get to the next step in your job or in school? What do you have to, what assignments do you have to work on? Like, actual work. Life doesn't stop. Life doesn't stop because God's dealing with us internally. It keeps going and he keeps dealing with us in it. Zechariah had to finish his time as a priest not being able to speak. Do you need to get involved with the church and, and plug in and build those relationships with people so that they can help you identify what the Holy Spirit is doing in you? Remember, Mary didn't, I suspect, it's not in the text, but I suspect that Mary wasn't real confident about what the angel told her until the Holy Spirit revealed to Elizabeth what God was doing in Mary. It was that encouragement, that mutual us, we're in this together. Where are you? What's your next step? What do you need to do to take it? Go to God. I mean, he's the, he's the only one that's going to help you lift your feet. Some days, I, I tell you this morning, the struggles were real. And I didn't know if we were going to, I don't know if I was going to be here this morning. And, and it was, there was some stuff to get through I'm not even going to get to. But I'm just saying, we got to go to God first to take the next step. And then we actually got to struggle along. We got to get out of bed. We got to get out from in front of the toilet. Whatever it is. And take the next step. God reveals to us the next step. Baby steps. Because if he gave it to us all at once, it would blow up in our face. He cares about you enough to help you walk with baby steps.